Hey everyone, and welcome to Required Reading. This week, first of all, you've noticed we've shifted. We're going to be released midweek now instead of on Fridays. This is just has to do with my other projects. This will keep my sanity a little bit. Uh, but further, we are talking about the Tolkien classic, The Hobbit. And I make a promise that next season we will try to do all three of the, the big books, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But in the meantime, we thought we'd start with this fun little kids book that has been somehow turned into a 10-hour movie saga which we'll get into a little bit as well we invite our guest robert von hagen and we appreciate you listening please rate review us wherever you get us please share with your friends and encourage them to participate too and if you have someone that you think would be a good fit for the show please let us know we're looking forward to it thanks guys Welcome to Required Reading. This week, we have our first guest-directed podcast, which, of course, since it's directed by Peter Jackson, will take nine and a half hours. We're doing The Hobbit, 1937 J.R.R. Tolkien, or Tolkien, Tolkien, Tolkien. Okay. I, I have, we have an actual expert this time, uh, and our panel with me this time is... Mike Burns. And? Uh, Robert Von Hagen. And we are at Mary's School, we're in Dungeon, and we're talking about... The Hobbit. Ooh, that was dramatic. Yes. <laughs> I like that effect. It is. Um, so, first and foremost... Well, we should introduce Robert. Okay, well... So, Robert, tell us about your role here at Marist. Yeah, I am uh, one of the college counselors, and I uh, have been here for a long time, and uh, I am a huge Tolkien fan. Long time, long time reader. Yeah, I, I, gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, the, the first movie came out in 2001. I think I had read the this... Second, I started with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Did you? Okay. Yeah, I think I read this when I was in ninth grade um, because I had read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and you know I, I forget who gave gave me this. Uh, my mom, someone said this is kind of in the same vein. It's silly, it's kind of fun, uh, but there's action and there's drama, and so I was like, sure, why not? Let's give it a try. Uh, and I kind of like it more than Lord of the Rings in some ways because Lord of the Rings by the end is. But 14, it's it's like reading George R. R. Martin. It's like 1,400 pages after all three books. Mm. And then finally someone gets crowned king. Awesome. This is a nice little compact story. Um, and it has all those elements of fantasy and, you know, high fiction that is, is entertaining. Yeah. Robert, where did you first discover this? Yeah. What was your first exposure? So in, I believe it was in fourth grade. I was uh, assigned to a reading group. And uh, I, we read excerpts of this uh, at the time. And... I, I just remember like being turned on in fourth grade reading at the time and largely with and, like fantasy and, and I you know attributed to the Hobbit. I, I didn't read so I, I read it then um, and then I read Lord of the Rings in eleventh grade and absolutely loved Lord of the Rings. I, I probably am different uh, from you, Nick, that I, I I like Lord of the Rings better than the Hobbit. You know, Hobbit's more of a, a children's tale and, and Lord of the Rings more epic. But I love both of them, and so then I reread The Hobbit after that, and then I read Samarillion. Oh. You know, and first year in college, I read that then, so I've read the, those things. I might have to sit down and talk with you about The Samarillion, because oh. it's, it's, it's fascinating, but it's also very difficult and dense, right? Absolutely. It, yeah. it, it points, it almost reads like a hagiography or something, because it's like little stories about little people, and there's a yeah. big overarching narrative, and it's right. compiled almost from notes, right? Like, yeah. That's, that's the, uh, Christopher Tolkien put it together, yep, that's right, yep. 
from, from his notes. Yeah. And so these were all reading for pleasure, or did you read them for school? Fourth grade ones for school, right? It was was for school, yeah, but for pleasure uh, after that. And then I actually, in college, I took a, uh, a course my senior year on The Hero on a Journey. Right. Uh, and Tolkien was one of the books, that, uh, Lord of the Rings was one of the books that we looked at. We also looked at The Hobbit as well, a uh, professor named Reckford in the classics department. And okay. Just an amazing class. So, so both you know, pleasure and the and, whole Joseph Campbell, the oh, heroes oh, initiation, absolutely, and all that. absolutely, right. yeah, right. All, all that, those yeah, themes, very cool. I think my first, I was thinking back to when I first encountered it, and I remember an animated film of it, and so yeah. I looked it up, and that was '77. Yeah, so I'd have been like seven years old then. I don't know if I saw it then, but I definitely. What you, what you think of that? Because that was pretty wonky, right? Or, I was looking at it yeah, now. It yeah. seems like it was very sort of Saturday morning cartoonish uh-huh. sort of sort of thing. But I remember liking it. Um, I don't think I ever read the entire book. I know I read part of it in middle school at some hmm. point, um, but then didn't go back to it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have some sort of like deep sort of memory of it, but I can't remember actually sitting down and hmm. reading The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, or I'm not sure where that came from maybe it's Dungeons and Dragons you know sort of right. overlapping in that so yeah. I played that for a while well if you're such an I mean it's not eclectic it's mainstream as you get in some ways but like it's not the kind of thing that I usually associate with going mainstream right and yet it's probably the most ubiquitous cultural thing I mean I was talking with uh, Mark Craddock about this music teacher who wants to be on to talk Dickens with us so you know, you'll hear from him eventually but how much YA is based on this right like almost all YA is to one degree or another you know, some sort of high fantasy fiction, mm-hmm. and it starts out with a normal character in a normal world that gets called to adventure. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it is Joseph Campbell, but this is thirty years before Joseph Campbell. Right. And so it feels like Tolkien had the, the the formula down, and now this time it's a world of vampire. I mean, I just read uh, the first book of the Golden Compass series, and it feels mm-hmm. very much the same way. It just right. it's a child instead of a little man. Yeah, uh, and you could speak to this more because I'm sure Robert. But you know, that goes back to Tolkien being. Um, like an, uh, was he a professor of Anglo-Saxon literature? That's and right. Sort of those yeah. deep myths, and you know, get Jungian on storytelling, and yeah, and just sort of the structure of stories. I think it's that's baked in there. And then when this came out in '37, I was just curious. So I was looking at the cartoon, and you know, reading about the dwarves again. But Snow White and the Seven Dwarves came out in '37 as well. Okay, so it was a big year for dwarves in '37. <laughs> and you know that Tolkien was furious about the spelling of dwarves in that movie as compared to his own spelling. He was oh, really? very, very upset. Oh, I didn't know so, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think but that's all, it goes back to Grimm, right? Brothers Grimm. Right. Okay. You're right. 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 But, you, but again, Tolkien's infused with, uh, you know, like Beowulf and, and uh, Odyssey and right. all these things are, are like he's bringing together and sort of bringing it into the, you know, the 20th century. The, well, I mean, the I think when I was even here as a student, we read his version of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Did you? Yeah. Right? You know, it's, yeah. That, that's what he did. He kind of right. tr- transliterated old English into modern yeah. English. And, you know, yeah, th- this is a piece of fiction he did. We'll talk about the World War One influences and that kind of thing. Yeah. But... His doctoral work is translating the old Arthurian legends and stuff, and right. and old, uh, you know, and like you said, the Beowulf and the old Celtic myths. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't imagine what he was like as a professor. It seems, you know, I just imagine him as Gandalf, kind of at the back of the classroom, mm-hmm. expecting more of me than I probably can do. Huh. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's really interesting. And in fact, in some ways, you can read this first and then do an entire high English class, um, where this is your intro to it and then you read right. the Arthurian legends you know more dark and things because this this nails it right, right. Um, but you know it started off as a children's right. tale for he really for his kids that he wrote and then he didn't really have the 
the whole legendarium around it was really a part of it in the backdrop, but he was writing it as a kid's tale. Right. And as, as he was writing the sequel, right, Lord of the Rings became Lord of the Rings, then he sort of combined the, those, that old world that he had written um, and, and made this new thing. So it's kind of an ev evolution as well in terms of what The Hobbit was originally and then what it became. Yeah. So I think it's interesting you said expecting more of you than you thought expected of yourself because I think, to your point, Robert, as children's lit, I mean, this is complex, but, you know, Harry Potter speaks to that where kids will read a thousand-page book and right. if, it, if the story is good... It'll draw them in, and we have that need for story. And I think he, he touches on this sort of those archetypes mm -hmm. uh, that resonate deeply across time. You know, going back to Anglo-Saxons and Beowulf, um, and Mike Carroll um, here at Marist teaches eighth grade, and he teaches Beowulf to the eighth grade, which you normally think, man, that's yeah too much of a stretch. But it, it's the mm -hmm. good story, and you can um, carry along. In that. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about uh, just. Tolkien himself and what you know, because you go deep into podcasts and yeah. other podcasts that sort of, you know, tap um, into this lore and the whole world of Middle Earth. And yeah, uh, I mean, in terms of, um, I, I'm not sure how to approach that. Like, in terms of his life, in terms of what he what he did. I mean, he right. So initially, uh, you said it was a children's well, yeah, book yeah. that he wrote for children, and then right. do you know how it was? I mean, I know it obviously was received well. Yes. And as he's expanding this empire, right? Are adults saying like we got to have more of this, or this yeah. is all on his own initiative? So that he goes and expands the in world his, in his twenties. Like, um, uh, I think he was born around what eighteen, whatever, whatever, whatever year he was born. But um, he wrote the sort of the what became the Cimmerillion. He had the the kind of that story. Um, he he developed elven languages, right? And so that's kind of the, the that's how he got started. And then just for fun, right? Or this just for his own, right. absolutely, right. yeah, yeah. He he and he actually was trying to get a version of the Cimmerillion published before the Hobbit. But basically, what he had done with the Hobbit, my understanding of it is that he wrote it. He he would tell his kids stories, and he would um, he would try to um, you know like uh, there's there's some Father Christmas stories that he told with his kids, but he really kind of wrote a book. For his children, and that was sort of the evolution of it. I think the story goes that he was he was working on a um, grading papers as a professor, and he he turned over a sheet and wrote, you know, uh, in, uh, in the in the that in first a, sentence, right? Yeah, sentence, yeah, in the whole, yeah. there's a Hobbit, whatever the, the sentence is, and that that kind of he, he sat on that for a while, and then and then he wrote, um, you know, the story kind of evolved from there as a children's story that he could tell his kids. I think is what it what it started. Uh, my, at least my understanding of it. Yeah. Should that be our first quote? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, really, yeah. it's iconic. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole. And that means comfort. There you go. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I mean, we can kind of pull in from this, but this is... You know, I, I don't get the feeling that like a lot of the Lost Generation, he had a lot of PTSD per se, but he starts out writing a lot of war poetry, right? Yeah. And that makes his way into this and in Lord of the Rings. And, you know, everyone has songs, which is something that they incorporate more in the Hobbit movies than they do in the Lord of the Rings movies. But it's it's something that if you don't know it's coming, it's very bizarre. It's off-putting, like, um, because everyone's sitting around having a glass of beer and listening to someone break into song. It's not how a lot of fiction goes. It's very Mead Hall, very uh -huh. Anglo-Saxon, yeah. yeah. Very Beowulf in yeah. that way, you know. Um, and from there, I mean, you know, just looking at his, you know, his writing credits, he has dozens of poems 
published in the decades before uh, the Hobbit comes out. Hobbit is thirty-seven, and his first poem was published in nineteen eleven. Mm-hmm. And so we do. Then we have the war poetry and stuff like that. It's it's interesting to see him unfold like that. Um, yeah. So. Well, let's talk about the story itself. Yeah, okay. So, what do you what what do you, what appeals to you? Why did you want to talk about this book, Robert? And and just sort of what resonates? <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, I will say largely you touched on some of it. The this idea of a hero on a journey who um, is inexperienced, as is um, in a certain stage, um, and that they get called to this journey, and they um, they accept that challenge. Uh, they go along, and they they find friends. That help them. Uh, they, uh, you know, encounter obstacles. Um, but can we be specific? Yeah. Are oh. there specific obstacles, or not? Not just the structure of the story, but yeah, because I mean, kids aren't going to be drawn to the structure yeah, of the story. Right, right, so. right. Um, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I think what attracted me as a as a fourth grader, and then you know, certainly as as I've grown older, like uh, adventure, fantasy, um, the story of going and encountering, uh, you know. Uh, going with the dwarves on this adventure, and then they, you know, the, the goal is to um, uh, to face Smog the dragon, right? And uh, you know, uh, and then along the way, you know, Bilbo finds the ring, um, and sort of he grows, and and um, you know, he grows as an individual and, and becomes like the leader of the group, right? As whereas he starts off and is a reluctant participant, that's kind of pushed by Gandalf to to actually go out the door and, and do that, and then sort of how it how it resolves. So to me, I just love the. You know the the fantasy and the you know the, the story and uh, you know I don't know yeah well and I mean what, what's interesting to me in this along exactly what you're saying is you know we can put him in the same basket as someone like C.S. Lewis who you know they were friends at the time they fought together and like these are very optimistic stories where against great odds hmm. come forward someone who goes, you know, fights harder than they could have, should have, would have, and does something incredible, right? And you have that kind of World War One mythology kind of tied into that. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's an excellent story uh, to, to kind of feel motivated. I mean, like, the kids should identify with these characters very easily. And then it's, you know, it's a fight. It's an interesting tale that builds up to fighting a dragon. What else could you want, right? Right, right. Um, well, <clears throat> I would say, so, also for, for, uh, for Bilbo... It's, he's got the Took side of his family, and he's got the the Baggins side of his family. And I, you know, again, I like that idea of uh, the Baggins side likes to be comfortable and doesn't want to be, you know, uh, bothered. And then the, the Took side is that adventurous side, and sort of like he's all throughout the book, he's kind of like uh, going back and forth between these different sides of themselves. And one, you know, I, you know, I like it though that that it's not that he's choosing between one or the other; it's he's both. And, yeah. and as he's living out, he's he's experiencing that. So. Yeah, it's a nice blend of the internal conflict. So, like, who am I? What am I? Uh, he's yeah. discovering that way, but you know, couched in all these crazy adventures with dwarves and swords and gems spiders, and, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. spiders and bear men creatures, and yeah, yes, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's also a world that seems very manageable to, to to comprehend, right? Like something I don't like about a lot of me at modern YA high fantasy is like you almost have to learn a whole new vocabulary, mm-hmm. right? And this one, like Gandalf just sometimes says, you don't have to worry about that. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I don't, I'm glad I don't have to worry. Right. You know, um, and I, I know this is more in uh, Lord of the Rings, but the line that always sticks out uh, where they're complaining about the rain. And he goes, I'm not going to stop the rain. Like, right. I can't use up all the magic now. Like, I'm not, I'm not the deus ex machina. Like, I'm not going to make the whole plot resolve right now. Just sit with me, right? And, that, right. and that's nice. Like, I, I, I totally understand that. Um, 
So I guess we should talk about this. Um, what's the plot here? Can you can, can you start this off? Can you get us going? Yeah. On so uh, Gandalf shows up on uh, Bilbo's doorstep and um, asks him if he wants to be on an adventure. Of course, he's reluctant, and and then sort of the I think it's the very next day uh, the dwarves show up. There's thir- uh, thirteen of them, right? And, yep. uh, they, um, you know, they talk about song and they, they talk about this adventure and they hire Bilbo to be a burglar. Right. They, they can't find a hero. Uh, and so they decide to go with the burglar. Uh, and they, they uh, Bilbo agrees to go with them to try to take back their treasure uh, from Smog the Dragon. And that's kind of how it sets up. Uh, and then they go on, they have a, go on to have a series of adventures, um, which again, we can kind of talk about that or kind of give the outline of that or how sure. do you want to do that? Well, yeah. I mean, I was going to say there's yeah. been a lot of ink spilled on the Hobbit, right? Like this is right. w- w- this is probably the most mainstream book we've talked about so far. I'd say. I mean, other than of course Scarlet Letter and Great Gatsby, which everyone pretends to read. Right. Uh, the, <laughs> this the, the this book series made what eighteen hours of movies uh, <laughs> that totaled something like ten billion dollars. I think people know the yeah, story. Right. And that's just the Peter Jackson franchise. Oh, that's right. yeah, were ter- other, the Hobbit yeah. movies were terrible. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh yeah. gosh. Uh, yeah. Ralph Bakshi uh, did. The, I mean, Rankin and Bass did that Hobbit movie, which is weird and kind of... Yeah. But it's 77 minutes or whatever right, it is. Right, right. Those Ralph Bakshi ones are truly unsettling. Yeah. Um, but fine. Uh, we're, we're totally fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can, we can start off, right? So the, the, we're told that uh, the, the dwarves have fallen from grace because their castle, or their, their keep, their treasure has been overtaken by Smell of the Dragon. Right. And so now they're on a quest to, you know, restore the throne, so to speak. Right. Um, and none of them think that this hobbit, who's a tiny little man, uh, is capable of doing anything, right? Like, they, they make him seem very diminutive compared to everyone, especially Gandalf. But um, the, the whole point is that he's supposed to develop, and he doesn't even think of himself as a thief, right? That's put upon him. And he isn't even told that by Gandalf. Uh, the dwarves tell them that you're the thief we've been hired. And he's like, excuse me. Uh, and that's kind of his whole arc. And just as you're saying that, it, it, I think I've never really thought of it in these terms, but that's that would resonate with a child who mm-hmm. thinks the world is unfair, like and the, the way like the the dwarves are seeking justice, seeking what's mm-hmm. normally or rightfully theirs, and that no one pays attention to me just because I'm a little little person, mm-hmm. like yeah. like Bilbo is. So I mean, it seems very yeah. obvious, but I've never really thought meta about that. Just. Yeah, and I mean, and the other thing I want to just put forward is, like you mentioned earlier, the Cimmerillion feel to this. This feels like a developed world, almost as though he's a journalist telling a story, not making it up, right? And the way I want to get into that is the, just the names of the dwarves, right? We have Thorin, and then Dolan, Balin, Kili, Billy, Dory, Nori, Ori, Olin, Golan, Bilfer, Bofer, and Bombor. It feels like those fit. Like, he came up with a language, and these are the names that fit within that language right. scheme, and it's all, it rolls off the tongue the same way. That's incredible. And, again, as someone who does podcasting, I come across a lot of cosplayers and fantasy mm. worlds. They don't think this stuff out as much. Like, I'm sure somewhere online there's a Tolkien name generator. Right, I mean, it's Norwegian mythology, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Norse, Norse mythology, right? Yeah, these, are, these are where the names are coming from, right? right? Yeah. yeah, I don't know if he's stealing them wholesale, right. but he's, he's I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but it's the linguists. Like, he, it right. feels yes. like this is a world that he's talking about, and then the hobbits have a different set of names, and like all this goes together. Yeah. That's great, uh, and you're entered in it immediately. Even Snaug, it's almost onomatopoetic, right? Like as this big booming dragon type that blows fire, like. 
again, it's, it's out of an Arthurian legend where we have to slay the dragon. Well, just as a, yeah. a concrete example of that, he, for this whole world, he developed three separate Elvish languages. Right. Like three separate ones. Yeah. And th just that. And then there's all these other languages as well. Orc. I mean, you know, Dwarvish language. But it's just amazing. But so do you read those languages? Some people oh, go no. Deep oh, my gosh. No. Yeah, no. That's, but that's they do, right? My, oh, of course. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Um, but the yeah. level of detail and world building is just epic in terms of the scale. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Well, I don't know. Something related to, again, I think it's fascinating that, oh, well, no, it was about, um, even though it's written as text, it feels like an old story that he's telling, like this, this sort of oral tale that's been passed on for generations. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Robert, I mean, I know you have two yeah. girls. Did you read this to your kids or were they interested? Yeah, you tried it great question. Uh, and I, this is more for boys or girls because there's very few female characters in there. We could talk about that at some right. point too. I tried with both of them um, to read The Hobbit and I, um, and I, you know, I, I was like, what's the right age and to try to introduce them to it. And I, you know, I, I think I read the first chapter to Sarah Jane in f maybe fifth grade and it just didn't take. Right. And then I read uh, to Charlotte, I tried as well, I think around in fifth grade um, and, you know, just didn't take. And so w with them actually we ended up reading Harry Potter together and then immediately they were engaged in the story and they connected for them. And mm -hmm. um, I'm reading uh, Keeper of the Lost Cities now with Charlotte. If you know, it's another kind of fantasy one. And she really, you know, lead character is female. Right. And so she really resonates for her. But I think, um, you know, both with for them, The Hobbit didn't work for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. That's a good question. Why do you yeah. think it, it didn't work? It, I mean, it's so subjective. It could be just right. your individual children and their personalities, or is, I, it, is it a boy's book? Or I don't know. I, I mean, think there it, are very few women. <laughs> yeah. I think it takes a little bit to get into it. Like, I think you have to. That's what I was kind of trying to keep reading through it, just to be like, no, kind of stay with me a little bit, because it's right. sort of more. He is very descriptive. I mean, he's talking about. He'll spend like I think it's more than Lord of the Rings, but he'll spend like three or four pages talking about trees right. and like the the landscape and the you know um, where something's taking place. And so I think some of it gets a little dense for people and the story's there, but uh, but yeah, and, and there might be that the also it might resonate more for guys than than for girls. I don't know, but. Well, I mean, but like to your point, even like this book is filled with maps and runic mm -hmm. symbols, and like, and I think that was there from the beginning, and it, it it feels very much like, like you said, he had it all planned out, and so yeah, I, I mean, we tried reading it to my daughter too. I think and she's younger, but I mean, we can even see how far we got. Yeah. Um, I think it's something that I'll put back to her, and she's a Scottish older, you know, ten or eleven, because mm -hmm. I don't think the language. It's too hard for her, but you've got to get that hook. And the book is almost seemingly broken up into mini adventures, right? Like you have the 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 fight with the spiders, for example. You already brought it up, and uh, he saves the day, and we that's where he gets his sword, and you know, like like, and then it stops, and then they sing a few songs, and then the adventure happens again. Like right. it's it's broken up into five or six chunks, which so, yeah, is it's very episodic that way. Right. The right. riddle, the riddle scene, I like with, right. with Gollum. Yeah, right. That's fun. Gollum is a great character. Hmm. I mean, speaking of someone out of a, a myth, he's almost out of someone like a passion kind of play. Someone who's so corrupted by obsession that it literally deforms him. Uh, we talked about in our American Experiment class how people would almost recommend or recognize a Puritan would almost recognize a modern slasher movie. Why? Because the drunks and the people who fornicate are the ones who die. Like that—that's what the medieval plays were. 
Well, but here we have a, like a dialogue between an innocent and someone who's so corrupted by evil, he's literally deformed uh, and sickly, right? He, one of those wasting diseases where he coughs and he takes away the handkerchief and there's blood and he's going to die because that's filmmaking. Um, but it, it's, it's great and it's about riddles. It's so I don't know. It's well, fantastic. it's fine because yeah, he can right. on that. But the originally Gollum wasn't like he, he went back and re-edited it to that is the, correct. The, you want to explain that? The yeah. So the, first, he's, the he's first version that. of it, uh, Gollum was actually more of a was not this kind of scary, just like a trickster creature. Kind of. Exactly right. right. And it, so it was like this riddle game that they had, and so. And in fact, I think even the, the early pictures of it, he, he looked very different than, um, but then when, so, so the book was really successful, right? And so then the, uh, the, the publisher wanted, you know, a sequel. And so uh, Tolkien wrote the sequel, worked on uh, writing the sequel and, um, you know, really struggled with it. And then, and then, you know, finally it came up with sort of what Lord of the Rings became. And it became, you know, much different in scope and scale. And, and it, in fact, it, even in the Lord of the Rings, the first two chapters really start out in the same sort of um, writing right. that the Hobbit is in. It's more of a children's tale, and then it and then it turns, you know. Yeah, it gets dark quick. Yeah. Yeah, very quick, right? But but it, again, it starts in that same that same vein. But um, but then so then when Tolkien went back to make the books connect more, he rewrote um, the uh, yeah he rewrote the some some of the actually the. Uh, the the te- he's like very he cares very much about the text so if you if you look back at the revisions he made as as few revisions as he possibly could interesting but the chapter with Gollum is one of the ones he made the most changes but apparently that yeah Gollum then became something different right and and um, it became more what what Nick was describing um, and but but again um, you know there was a transformation of who he was originally to to what he became so that's yeah. interesting it, so it, it wasn't Gollum initially wasn't the moral sort of um, cautionary tale, and but he turned it into that to fit into the, the mythology of. That's okay. my understanding of it. Yeah, well, right. I mean, it also makes. I mean, I had no idea, but it makes sense because there's almost always a trickster character in, uh, especially mm-hmm. in Scandinavian mythology, right? Like, I mean, that's low. Usually, you're sympathetic to the trickster, but and that's a Bilbo be, ends up being that trickster in many ways in this book, right? As right. a thief. Right. <laughs> that's right. Like the thief. Yeah. Right. Right. This camel transition has to make him trickier. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, like so. When we get into this, um, what what stands out to you as as a narrative, as a English teacher here? I mean, I think um, just we taught this when the movie was coming out in um, 2011, 12. Yeah. It was in production, so we thought, oh, yeah. we'll have the kids read it for eighth grade as a summer reading book, and they'll be into it because you know Harry Potter was. Really big, popular yeah. in the Lord of the Rings films, even though eighth grade is probably young for maybe, for, I don't know. I remember going to see Two Towers in the theater mm-hmm. with my wife, and then there was a family in front of us with like four and five-year-olds. And what idiots are bringing this? <laughs> like this uh, horribly, yeah. you know, yeah. a lot of nightmares in your future. Anyway, um, so we taught it um, as a summer reading book. And it honestly How did it, didn't how go well. Received? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we gave up after two years because... I think, yeah, unless you buy in, unless it's it's the right book for the right kid. Yeah. And if you don't buy in, it's too much, like, to work with and to try and figure out the language and all these. And so it didn't go as well as I had thought. Um, but we essentially just taught it as a as a, a hero's journey kind of kind of idea. So the structure we talked about, you know, the call and the we didn't really go deep in the Joseph Campbell, hmm. you know. Um, 
terminology, but it ended up being not as successful. As yeah, I think it wasn't wanted. like as as accessible as as Harry Potter or Hunger Games or things like that. Like the language, and yeah, it's definitely yeah. more complex than that. Yeah, okay. Um, and so I think I've seen the pendulum swing back a little bit. Just in in the last ten years, I think this is when reading was really tough to sell, and I think being on the screen so much like what we've had successful this year is the outside book circles like kids are anxious to they're not anxious eager to turn off the screen and just read a book yeah whereas 10 years ago that was less so mm-hmm. and so i think it was difficult and they just chucked it and they went to spark notes or whatever to mm-hmm. to get through that yeah um or the you know the good dutiful students would push through it but not not really enjoy it well and, and it's interesting because I, I said it's light and in some ways, but it's not out and out funny. It's humorous. It's it's and I love it's I love his prose, but I, I totally can get like that frustration. I mean I can I said I got into it after Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide is very funny. Oh yeah. Very um, light and very sort of yeah. yeah. Um now the fantasy elements are not that different. You you take a small Englishman and you send him off into a greater world. Into the universe, yeah. And then halfway in the entire planet explodes. So he's literally a man on his own. Um but um, I I mean we could dance through the plot here. At this point you know, it, I, I, I have notes to keep it straight because I get these things a little bit out of order. Um, but the last little, we, we've talked about the, the, the language, we've talked about the poetry and the song. The last thing we should talk about is the food. Food is lovingly described in everything that Tolkien, and I guess in the same way uh, C.S. Lewis in those books, talks about the Turkish delights. And I've had them, they're terrible. Um, <laughs> but like, but like the, the hobbits eat six times a day. Right? Yeah, about, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and we, like, the first chapter is, like, something like the roasted mutton or something. Right. Like, we're getting into food immediately. Sure. And that super feels like post-Great Depression Europe and just the desire to have everything. Why would you leave behind all of this wonderful food mm-hmm. to go on an adventure? Um, and the, I com- think the comforts of home. And, and, the comforts yeah, of Hobbiton. Yeah, right. Um, and that, that's that first line I read, that this is a wonderful... Why would we go to Europe to fight a war when we have all of this back home? Well, sometimes you're called to fight. Yeah, you want to stay in your little hole, but you need to get out. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And it, it's such an interesting metaphor, such an interesting thing to go from. Because, again, you know, Bilbo is not a thief. Uh, Frodo is not an adventurer. And they're called to do those things. And they, you know, stand up and with aplomb save the world, which is a very English mentality. Don't worry, we can, we'll save your planet for you. Um, but, well, yeah. And the, the poem, The Road Goes Ever On, I mean, the, the poem that they have in the book about the adventure out the door and, and again, mm-hmm. Bilbo are following that adventure, yeah, it's a great, um, if you, if you read the poem and how it evolves in the different stages that they present it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a continuing journey that he's going on. So anyway, why don't you talk that. about the poem then? The poem uh, I, the I, I actually work. don't have it in front of me, so do you, do you know where it is in the book? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Uh, I don't have my glasses. Okay. I can find it. Sorry. There's so many little poems in here. Well, while you guys look, I'm, I'll just sort of spitball on this. I've never really thought of it before. Um, I mean, and Nick, you can speak to this in historical terms. Mm-hmm. How much of this is um, related to post World War One, or hmm. you know, sort of anticipating World War Two? I'm thinking of, of near the end where they they kill the dragon, but the story's not over, and then you have these sort of feuding within these previous allies and ends up sort of on the verge of self-destruction because of this feuding. Well, I mean, we can talk about 
Is that reading too much into it? No, absolutely not. Um, there is something in Tolkien that, or Tolkien, I'm sorry, I don't know why I pronounced it like a American. Um, but uh, for me and for him, I think he's a historical, um, there's a name for this, but it, it, like that history loops, like these kinds of conflicts with good and evil happen all the time. And as a medievalist, he sees this. And so that's also the kind of Joseph Campbell side of it. Um, so I think when he's writing these things about the, you know, the, 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 the good fighting the evil and evil seems so dominant, so overwhelming, I think it's just him looking at it. And so, yes, he just fought World War One, and the Lord of the Rings cycle comes out after World War Two because it's almost two decades in between them. And I think in that, you know, he, he sees something good in the noble fight, you know, uh, the, the, the moral war, um, which, which I think kind of pervades here, like, even in the book, he describes this as the third age, as though this just keeps happening. Right. So yeah, you think the build the buildup is you're gonna kill the dragon, then they kill the dragon, and it's not over yet. You got to deal with the aftermath and, and find your way home and negotiate. You know, all the sort of splitting the treasure more right. or less. Well, I mean, and if you want to get into the real history side of this, this is very post World War One when they win the day, and then the first thing they do is redraw up everything. Right? They draw the map of Europe, they fight over the Ottoman Empire, they, they, they break up Germany and try to clip its wings and take like a trillion dollars of them. And yeah, it, and what happens? Well, it just ends up 20 years later, they're being another right. war. Do the same thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Tolkien in that way is, he's not predictive because he wrote afterwards, but he's just shaking his head at these people who did dumb We're things. We're doomed to repeat that. Yeah. Just as right. yeah. Did you find the poem? Robert? I did find it, yeah. So um, this is uh, at the end. Uh, the road goes ever on, over rock and under tree, by caves where sun, never sun has shone, by streams that never find the sea, over snow by winter sown, and through the merry flowers of June, over grass and over stone, and under mountains in the moon. Road goes ever on, ever, ever on, under cloud and under star. Yet feet that wandering have gone, turn at last to home afar. Eyes that fire and sword have seen, and horror in the halls of stone. Look at last on meadows green, and trees and hills they long have known. Very good. So I love that. And then in, in the Lord of the Rings, then uh, this a version of this is also presented where, um, you know, it's talking about sort of... Um, you know, one person stepping aside from the journey and, and another person, Frodo, right. taking on the journey, you know, different words with that. Right. Yeah. 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 I like it. Um, it's your thesis of the whole book at the end, right? It's, so it's a concluding paragraph. Uh, and I like that. Uh, I mean, let's walk through the plot again. I think everyone knows it, uh, but we start off with a party with yeah. everyone showing up and sure. Gandalf reappearing and presenting a map. Uh, and he said, right here, there's right. a keyhole in the wall. Sure, Se why not? we, <laughs> we got to get there first. Se secret entrance, secret right? Secret entrance. Yep, that's right. Uh, yep. So that they can get to the treasure that Smaug is protecting. Yeah. Um, we then go to Rivendell and meet... So the, the trolls happen before oh, Rivendell, right. right? So they, they encounter the trolls uh, um, in the in the woods at night. And uh, that's sort of the first adventure that uh, it doesn't go very well. Which they're going to eat them, right? They, they, they yeah. To. So Bilbo has his first burgling task and he goes to try to investigate what the fire is because they're hungry and, and miserable. The dwarves are. And so then um, they all get captured and put in a bag and then the trolls are going to, are fighting over how they're going to eat them basically. Right. And then, so um, the Gandalf shows up uh, and, and saves the day. Um, and so, um, and then they find the treasure, actually find the swords, 
that are that are there, and that's where Bilbo gets uh, Sting, which is his becomes his sword as well. And then from there, they go on to Rivendell. But actually, the the if you uh, the Odyssey, the um, the troll encounter parallels um, the uh, Cyclops encounter in the Odyssey as well. So there's kind of like some parallels as well through this book right. and the Odyssey as well. But so that that is kind of the first adventure. It doesn't go well. Right. Bilbo fails and as a as a burglar. Um, and it certainly doesn't, um, you know, the dwarves don't necessarily see him as a leader at that stage. Yeah. And then, and then on to Rivendell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, from Rivendell, it's where they're, they're essentially recovering, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, we meet Elrond who's, yeah. explain the elves to me because they're very confusing. They're timeless. Yeah. Right. They're immortal. Right. Yeah. Um, and they all look like Orlando Bloom. Yes. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Got it. We're good. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they have a kind of air about them, like they're, they're, they could intervene, but they're not going to if they don't have to. They, they're they wise because they're right. ageless. And I, I, to me, it feels like Tolkien has an axe to grind with someone. I don't know. Like, these are the academics who are smart but don't want to take part in things. And so we're the ones who are actually, okay. I don't know. I just, I always re- read them as very arrogant. They seem like they're very arrogant, and even it seems like Gandalf is done with them about day two. Hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, for the Hobbits, this is the first time they've ever left, so they're very impressed by the architecture. No one else is impressed by the elves. Um, but, I don't know, maybe I'm just cynical. Um, and then from there, <laughs> they cross the Misty Mountains and they run into the goblins, and a very similar right. scene happens, right? Yeah. Uh, and after the goblins is where we get the ring, so we should get to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so they're they're captured by the goblins in the cave, and they're they're retreating from a storm. Um, and uh, again, Gandalf has left them, and uh, uh, or he he's separated from them during the the struggle with the, the goblins. Um, and then uh, there's a big battle scene, and uh, Gandalf shows up again, saves the day. They kill the 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 uh, orc. With the goblin, lead goblin, uh, and then they're escaping under underneath underneath the mountain. And uh, Bilbo, uh, uh, they get attacked uh, on their uh, on their exit out, and Bilbo gets hit on the head and falls uh, down. And so that he gets separated from the group, yeah. um, and so then wakes up by himself in the dark. And then he's scrambling down and makes his way eventually to a lake under underground. Right. Uh, and then that's where he meets Gollum, and um, so Gollum. Uh, is down there. He's, you know, he's, he's this creature that, that Bilbo encounters, uh, and they have a riddle game that they do. And so basically, um, uh, the, the deal is that if Bilbo loses the riddle game, uh, uh, Gollum is going to eat him. And if uh, if Go- if Bilbo wins, then he gets to pick a prize or pick a a, a thing. And so, um, you know, we find out eventually, uh, you know, in, in Lord of the Rings, that, that Gollum is actually a hobbit who's had his life extended for, because of the ring. Um, and so they, they share in common. They have a, this riddle, uh, this riddle game that they do, going back and forth, which is really pretty clever. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, a, it's a great, a great scene that they're trying to trick each other with riddles. Um, and again, parallels to, to other stories from you know from you know different stories with that. But um, an old Anglo-Saxon exactly Viking tradition of riddles. Yeah, yeah right. right. And um, and then Bilbo does win, uh, and um, he he finds the ring on the ground, so it's falling off the golem's hand, um, and then Gollum. Uh, you know, finds out that you know, he his, he can't find his ring. He was going to attack Bilbo, um, and, and I think in the original story that there's there might be a, a different uh, version of of what Gollum was going to do, um, but then uh, Bilbo um, has the ring. He actually has an opportunity to to harm and hurt Gollum on his way out, uh, but he chooses not to. He, he chooses to spare Gollum, 
Um, but then he makes his way out of the out of the mountain, underneath the mountain, and then he he um, get, gets back up with the dwarves and Gandalf, and because they've been worried about him, they don't know where Bilbo is, um, and they're impressed that he's able to actually he survived by himself and, and made it out on the other side. So, and the ring the the ring that he gets makes him invisible. Um, and that's a really a turning point for him as a as sort of like a treasure that he gets along the way, a skill that, that he, uh, or, you know, the, a special thing that he gets that that's going to help him moving forward. Well, and it's, uh, of course, the, the titular ring from the Lord of the Rings cycle, um, but we don't really know what it is. And Gandalf, well, if, if I, again, I'm going to get these things confused, and that's why we have resident expert mm-hmm. Von Hagen here to, to correct me. But... He kind of he doesn't sneak up on the dwarves. He just kind of appears behind a rock, and they're like, "We didn't think you would make it." And right. he's kind of happy eavesdropping on them. And Gandalf, you can just imagine raising that eyebrow, like, mm-hmm. "How did you get here?" Yep. Well, we're glad you're safe. And then immediately from then on, he has something that they don't have, which is the propound of the plot, right? Like right. he becomes the thief that they needed, that they wanted, um, and he immediately knows he shouldn't tell anyone how he did. Right. 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 So the and, and again, as he later writes the Lord of the Rings, it's sort of a, a beginning of a corrupting influence of the ring on Bilbo that he's not honest with them about that. that that's later. But that that's, a, you know, again, that's part of the element of the story. Yeah. As you're saying, that's interesting. Like, is there a deeper lesson there about keeping secrets coming off of uh, the Scarlet Letter, like the corruptive mm-hmm. effect of holding a secret? Um, and then also, I think, as you're talking to I'm sure there's been a PhD um, thesis written on cannibalism. Like, we, how many times have we mentioned the fear of being eaten? Hmm. Right. So, yeah. does this relate to hunger in, in post, you know, World War One England, hmm. or again, is that just a deep human fear of, of your body being consumed by another? I don't know. Hmm. Just, it's, it's curious that just saw that if you, if you mentioned that. It reminds me of a comedy bit by John Mulaney. It's like, you know, growing up, I thought quicksand would be much more of a problem than it is in real life. <laughs> it's, it's like everyone ran across quicksand and cannibals. Like even that, uh, I haven't seen it in years, but Temple of Doom. Like there are cannibals in Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Like, yeah. It's very much like old world kind of high fantasy myth making. It's as, as if that's the most savage thing someone could do to another human, mm. perhaps, or I don't know. Just it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, one day we'll we, we'll be able to talk about the Catholic implications of cannibalism versus sure. you know German Protestantism, but you know, but I, I do think podcast. it's Tolkien is tapping into elemental fears that yeah. children have about the outside world and, and encountering those fears. Right. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it goes back to Hansel and Gretel and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, right. I love those Germans. Right. The, the comedy of Hansel and <laughs> um, So yeah, so from here, I mean, they rejoin, the goblins come back. The, the scene with Gollum is very bizarre because they're running from the goblins. He falls into the, the lake and then the goblins are still after them. And that's right. where we get rescued by the eagles for the first time. That's right. Yeah. Uh, which is a metaphor for the Americans saving the day to the Europeans. Well, over you? Over and over. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the eagles come back, of course, also in Lord of the Rings. They're... they're yeah. The plot. <laughs> Every time you write yourself into a corner, eagles show up and save the day. It's not, they do show up at the end of the book as well. And yeah, the Hobbit. Yeah, right, right. Again, to to help the, with the five armies battle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, take it away. I'm just I'm going through the plot. I have notes. Yeah. So the the, the, the eagles drop them off um, on Karak, which is a, a Bjorn. Is they they encounter Bjorn, which is really kind of crazy. He's a crazy bear, man creature, and they stay with with him. 
Um, and and he's he also sort of vaguely, is he friendly? Is he hostile? Am I right? Like, you're not quite sure how to... Yeah, he's he's an unknown and, and I think, you know, ultimately becomes a, a help and a friend. But he's but not... sure encounter and they're not sure. And right? he's not sure about them, I right. think, until he he becomes sure of them that they're not out to, to, to cause mischief or harm. Right. That, that But then once he realizes that, that, he assists them and he puts them back on the road as they go through. And he comes uh, back to save them in the yeah, battle. Yeah, exactly. Right? right. He comes back. But he, and then he puts them on the road to Berkwood. Um, and then uh, they're, they're, Merkwood is a, a forest that, that they have to stay on the path. And it's becoming more dangerous. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a dangerous place that's, that's less safe than it used to be. And so there's this path that they're supposed to stay on. Um, as long as they stay on the path, they're fine. Um, Gandalf uh, goes to take care of, of uh, a thing that, that becomes very important in, the, in Lord of the Rings, but um, uh, he leaves them, and so they're they're on their own there, and, and so then they um, they have sort of adventures. Um, and of course, they obviously don't stay on the path. Um, they see um, they get hungry. Um, you know, uh, they have you know things that happen to them, and then so so they see fires at night, um, and then. Um, they try to try to they leave the path to try to, to, to try to find the fires and find food, um, and it causes uh, lots of problems for them. Um, and then they eventually um, get. Um, I'm trying to think about the the timeline. So the uh, the encounter with the spiders happens, and then they get uh, jailed by the elves. Is that correct? Yeah, right totally the timeline right. yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. They, so they get captured by the spiders. Um, and uh, all the dwarves are are captured by the spiders. And actually, that's when Bilbo really kind of is this his first um, opportunity to, to really, he's got the ring, so he's able to uh, to uh, to ha- evade the spiders. Um, and then he uh, all the all the uh, dwarves are, are kind of knitted up uh, with spider webs, and he's able to to cut them loose uh, and help them escape and get get on the path. Um, I believe that's correct. And then. Right. Then they get captured by the elves. So the, the dwarves get captured by the elves. The evil elves. The evil, there's, yeah. There's two well, sides of elves, right? Or the wood elves. The, right. the wood elves. So, the, so the, the the elves are interesting. I mean, not to get into too much detail, but there's kind of like high, high elves that have. So the the elves are firstborn in the, in the world, right? And and so there's like the, the Valar are sort of the gods that have like a separate island. And so they 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 bring a group of the elves. To, to Valar to, to the to this island to be to, to really educate them and to really grow them and so a group of those elves come back to Middle Earth um, and they're elevated so the 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 Mirkwood elves the, the the wood elves are, are a group that never did that never had that uh, experience with the Valar um, and so they're kind of like low elves if that makes sense they're still you know uh, magical and, and and whatnot but they're not the same. Uh, you know, level yeah, it's right, right, exactly, right, right. So that, but that's the group. So the, there's a king of the elves, and they they imprison the the, the dwarves, um, and um, and that's where Bilbo again is able to with the ring to hide, and then is eventually able to um, to help the the uh, the dwarves escape. And so again, he does it through the barrels. I don't know if you this the scene right. is that there's a, a New Year's Eve party, um, and the the guards get get drunk. Um, and and then Bilbo steals the key and is able to to get them all out. And so the only way to get them out is if they go the the the, the, the elves kingdom is near uh, the lake. There's a lake town which is near the mountain where they're where they're going to have the, where the where the dragon is. But anyway, he gets them. He puts them in barrels, um, and then he sends them out, um, and they escape through the barrels, and he rides the barrels. And so the theme park ride in the making. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 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 And, the, and the parallel with that though, with the Odyssey though, is that uh, you know the the um, to escape the cyclop in the island, uh, um, uh, uh, who is it? Um, 
Odysseus, Odysseus. Puts, puts his men underneath the rams and right. they escape with the rams. Right. And so again, there's that, that nice parallel there with them. And so then the, the dwarves escape. They come to Lake Town. Uh, the people of Lake Town sort of embrace them and, and say... Lake Town are humans, right? They're the humans, right? right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And they... Um, uh, they, you know, the, the the dwarves are coming back to their land, and they're 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 so saying we're going to reclaim our land, and then from from there uh, they make their way to the Misty Mountain, which is where they're going to the secret entrance that they found, and so luck luck plays a part in it though because the the map that they have um, that that Elrond was able to read, so, so, uh, and, I, and again I don't have the the verse in front of me, the, the words in front of me, but but basically. Um, they, it, it's just by fate that they happen to be there on the exact day at the exact time uh, that, that, that the moon shines on the, the, the keyhole and they're able to open the keyhole and, right. and open up the secret passage where down into the, to where smog is in, in the Misty Mountain. Well, in like all fantasy fiction, there's a prophecy of a bird that chirps at the right yeah, time. Thrush, right. That's, that's right. right. That, yeah, three times. That's right. Yeah. And, and yeah, so yeah, you have the bird, the, the bird thrush, the thrush calling at the exact time the moon hits the thing. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the right. The only one who remembers it is Bilbo. Uh, right, Which right, is great. Right. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's it's uh, it's very much like, like you said, the Odyssey or, or, or an Ethereum legend where things happen to fall just into place right. and the hero is the one who sees his advantage. Right. Um, and then, even Thorin, everyone's kind of a coward. Uh, Right, and so send 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 Bilbo. Right, I would say though that that like a, a through line through all of his all of Tolkien's books is this idea of fate, and and sort of the gods sort of um, uh, sort of directing things, but then also there's agency upon the people, the players, and mm-hmm. sort of making so they're making choices about about how they're going to act, but but it's like, like like what's fate and and sort of like setting in motion things that are going to happen and then the individual people making decisions that, that influence what happens. Yeah. Sure. sure. Anyway, so it's, it's a great kind of through line. Absolutely. Or um, no, I was just thinking, and I was thinking this as I was rereading this morning, just the overlap or intersection between The Hobbit and then Led Zeppelin. I mean, <laughs> you know, like they mentioned Gollum and, and Ramble on and just sort of just like, what a strange sort of well, and, influence uh, or sort of out outflow of that influence and hmm. uh, well and this is also my Led Zeppelin nerd but on the album Zoso there's a song called The Battle of Evermore exactly. where they're literally singing about the ring race I'm just like oh, wow. you are the biggest band on the planet right. <laughs> good, good for you and so it's not really the Hobbit I think the Ramble On is about Lord of the Rings but the, still it's just Gollum yeah so. I mean where, where are the punk bands singing about Harry Potter <laughs> well, it's coming I mean, it, it better be like come on man that'd be fantastic <laughs> I'm sure there's Star Wars themed scum that when that came back in the 90s. <laughs> There's got to be. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what's the lasting legacy, I guess? Um, or how many times have you read this, Robert? How many times do you go back and read it? Or... So, yeah, The Hobbit I've only read, probably read three or four times okay. uh-huh. in total. Um, but I, The Lord of the Rings, I, I usually read every every two to three years. Um, so yeah. why is that? Why is The Lord of the Rings no <sighs> reword? Worthy, yeah. That's not a word. Rereadable than I, the Hobbit. I, I think in, in terms of me, it's a, just a personal preference. In, in terms of I, it, this is a children's tale, okay. And I think the Lord of the Rings is more of an epic fantasy um, adventure, and and and, um, and so I, that, that 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 resonates for me more. And I, I think I, I find that it, when I come back to Lord of the Rings, 
uh, whatever stage of life I'm in, I, I kind of have, uh, you know, a different kind of perspective that I'm bringing to what I'm reading and different things stand out to me. Well, that's perfect. I mean, that's yeah. what this podcast is about. So right. revisiting works that maybe. Right. So are you saying that the Hobbit doesn't hold up for you in the way that others do? Yeah, it, not in, I love it. Right. But it, it, in terms of rereading it and revisiting it and, and getting uh, things from the text, um, I still do, but not in the same so way. It's that, more of a nostalgia read rather than exactly, seeing yeah. new things or seeing things yeah. for the first time upon a subsequent read. Yes. Reading. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, exactly. Right, okay. right. Whereas with Lord of the Rings, it's it's like get something from You're it. Still discovering. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Nick? I mean, when I reread it, or just for this podcast, it, it seemed much more plot-driven than like. I mean, even though there are these complexities yeah. that we're talking about, but I can see that. Well, I mean, and what you're saying, right? I'm in the same boat. Like, I read it when I was in you know early high school, and I hadn't read it in probably 20 years. Hmm. And then I just started it not long ago, and then last summer I just sat down and read the whole thing. And you know, when the Hobbit movies came out, I thought it was a bridge too far, man. I, those are the first one I, I watched, and I'm like, we're like 30 pages into this book. You're, you're stretching it a little too far, Pete. Um, I, I wish he had made a children's tale and not try to redo Lord of the Rings, but I, yeah. you know, I think yeah. that's what the choice he made. Yeah, yeah uh, And it's funny, because I got that same feeling that I don't know if it was a money thing, and he's like, you no. got to do it, or what, but like, in some ways, I'd say, watch the Rankin and Bass version, because that gets it nice, tight, and it's long enough that a kid could follow it. Right. You know? Um I guess the final question, I mean, we talked about the end already. So does it hold up, or how did it, upon rereading it? Oh, I enjoyed it much more, in right. fact. Hmm. Did you see new things? Did you discover new things with your adult eyes, or is well, it just more of a nostalgic sort of remembering the adventures of, of the plot and well, the characters? Well, I mean, I'll redirect that into whether or not I teach this in a class. I would say it would be, you said the problem was you try to get it for eighth grade summer reading, the problem for me is that that's the beginning of the year. If we did a Euro or World Lit, it would be almost interesting to mm -hmm. take this book at the end and say, read the whole thing, have them do that, however they would do that, but then take a section and do an extended analysis on what are the illusions that are being made, because you're right, there is a lot of Odyssey in this. There is a lot of those like epic poems like Beowulf and Sir Gawain in this. There's there's also that kind of epic tale. Like you could almost start out by saying, Let, let's read another book first and then get into this. Because if you want to read The Lord of the Rings, you're gonna have already read this. So how do we address the kids who haven't? Well, do you start with the Golden Compass series? Do you start with Wrinkle in Time? Do you start with Star Wars hmm. and then and then read them? Because this does some have, take its time getting going. That's not a flaw, but I think it'd be hard to just give this to any kid for a reading book. Right. And I think that's where we failed certainly is that if you were to teach it and guide the kids along and talk about structure and talk about storytelling and archetypes and all that, that might be a way to make it more accessible. <laughs> but if you just give it to them on their own and they're not going to see that or if the story doesn't grab them, that's going to be a really hard sell, which is what we have happened with us. That's what you saw. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah. Any, any thoughts on that, uh, Robert? Uh, uh, and what's the question? I'm sorry. Well, no, no, I yeah. mean, do you think we should be giving this to students? Or, and in what? Yeah, in what context? Yeah. Fair, fair question. I mean, I, I, it's so good that, that I think there's value in them being introduced to it and exposed to it. And I guess the question is, what's the right timing of that? So I agree with that, and I don't know. And for some of them, it's they're just not going to get it. So I think there's more 
like what you'd YA novels that aren't as good, right? I think there's rich, but that, that are maybe more accessible that kids totally. could, could, could get. But I, I think there's value. And I, I think it seems like with eighth grade, like, I, I, you know, maybe a little bit older, like ninth, ninth grade. I, I don't know though. I don't know. So, yeah. I mean, given that it, it didn't originate that way, but it is now a prequel to Lord of the Rings. Right. Do you even need to read it? If you just would it be better just to jump to Lord of the Rings and then you go back if you sort of wanted to yeah like you you know you find a song or a band that you right. love and then you go back and trace their influences kind of thing Do yeah you that's need... a good question I mean again I know my own preference I, I think there are parts of Lord of the Rings again that are very dense and so uh, you know again a kid I, I think it's to me it's more engaging story and more epic story um, and I think kids would resonate for it if, if you know however they want to approach it. Um, you know, again, you, do you want to read through four pages of tree descriptions right? <laughs> right, or, right. or landscape descriptions? But I think if you read through some of that and um, the plot line's just amazing. But I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, it might resonate for different kids, the, the stories. But I think. Is there a good um, sort of equivalent? Again, the idea of he's using this uh, sort of structure of an old tale an audiobook like the Jim mm. Dale ones we listened to with our kids growing up. I mean, they love those audiobooks um, of the, Harry Potter. And so, well, the BBC has an old series yeah, that they like, have. Like, this yeah. would be good. Like, you have like Ian Holmes like, is the. We're on a 12 hour car ride. Let's listen to oh, this. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I yeah. think so. Yeah. They do a nice job. The, the, the one I'm thinking of, I can't remember when they did it, but again, I think Ian Holmes, who played Bilbo in the movie, uh -huh. um, is the. Is, um, plays the character Bilbo in the, in the BBC series as the, I believe that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, the, the late sixties version is the one you're thinking of. Is probably. that, is that, that right? Well, okay. they redid it in 2008. Okay. Uh, but yeah. And I, I've heard that version too. It's great. Right. And, uh, they have the songs in there and it's kind of over the top and, right. um, you know, I think I, I, I listened to that in the last few years as well. It's, okay. it's very good. I actually have on tape. I have the Hobbit series, that BBC series. Like, oh, do you? yeah, it's in my basement oh, wow. album. Okay. I enjoyed listening to that actually in some ways more than, than revisiting the book as frequently. Right. Yeah, so there you go. Okay. Um, Mike, what are you reading nowadays? Uh, let's see. I'm starting um, If Beale Street Could Talk. So that's an upcoming mm. podcast. So yeah. doing my homework for that one. Um, and then we have spring break coming up, so I don't know. I'm going to find something else. I, mean, I feel like every time we talk, I give you homework. So I'm not gonna... Of course. <laughs> that's what this is about. <laughs> Uh, Robert, reading anything? I am reading a book by Bart Ehrman right now. Oh, that's one. It's, like on, it's on uh, uh, emerging Christianities. So, like, it's the uh, I can't think of the exact title, but uh, is it Lost Christianities? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, just yeah. Read that Did you read that? Too. It's okay, excellent. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. I started listening to his podcast. Uh, Bart Ehrman is a podcast, so. I have to look it up. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. listened to an audio book two weeks ago of his. Um, Did you? Yeah. Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene. Yeah, I read that one. So, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I guess appropriately, I guess I'll plug this. I just finished reading uh, the first book of The Golden Compass. Uh, I, I believe it's called The Golden Compass. Yeah. Uh, the trilogy is His Dark Materials. Right. And you know, do you like it? Uh, the first book like I enjoyed. I just, okay. I've only read the first book. I... I was in college when that first movie came out. That first movie was atrocious, so I didn't I didn't get it. But I've started yeah. watching the HBO show, sure, uh, with Lin Manuel. Because you know you know why it was written, and it's written in response to uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, book as sort of a. Um, it's a it's an atheist theme, yeah, right? Yeah, so that's the sort of the, books, right, right. So it's so it's it was written as a sort of antithesis of of um, 
What, what's what's uh, not your Christianity? Line the line line the word. Thank you. That yeah. was sort of the, the, the his take on on that. And so yeah, the retelling yeah. of the Christ yeah. theory. Well, I mean, and the bad guys in this are the magisterium. So <laughs> right, exactly. Right, mean, right, right. And it's I will say uh, if you want other you know YA kind of fantasy, that book is good. Yeah. Uh, I read read Madeline Langle's uh, Wrinkle in Time recently Incredible. and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Oh, which is. They're great. Um, That's a really funky book with the illustrations and photos. It's like yeah. found photo kind yeah. of thing. Um, but they also, I mean, the one criticism we brought up earlier, these are much more diverse books with much more, you know, with female characters and right. minorities. And it, it feels more like a complete world, which, I mean, to Tolkien's credit, you know, if it's a war book, he was fighting with other white people in England and France and that kind of thing. Sure. So this expands the world and also gives you a child's perspective. So, right. I mean, uh, obviously, the clear parallel Harry Potter. I mean, sure, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I just, unfortunately, Miss Peregrine's <laughs> The Golden Compass had bad movies that came out. So you know, at least the Hobbit movies and Lord of the Rings and uh, Harry Potter were successful films. Right. <laughs> uh, don't read the Ring of Time. I would classify the Hobbit movie as bad wouldn't we agree oh, with that it's <laughs> it absolutely too, I mean, it should have been one film and just much tighter and it, rather than it, stretch it out for money or there's a difference between and bad and unsuccessful and, <laughs> and, and adding like unnecessary battle scenes yeah just ridiculous yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it seemed like a money grab it was yes um well anyway. so is that it yeah, thanks yeah. for joining us. Yeah, and that's awesome, fun. Robert. Yeah. Next season, you want to do the whole Lord of the Rings? Oh, I would I would love that. Yes, yeah. that'd be great. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. Uh, tune back in for Mr. Great. Owen Hagen and the Lord of the Rings yeah, trilogy. I'll learn Elvish in between. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. Yep, thanks. See you. Yeah, thanks. We're out.